This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 37 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we hear from three women whose lifetimes of horse experience, some of it competitive and some of it is just all for the love of sharing the magic of horses, and we're going to hear about the practical needs of keeping horses in the big city, that'd be New York, and the reasons why horses are needed there as as much as or even more than anywhere else. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. How are you, Glenn? Good, and it's my job to embarrass Debbie today because you made the big mistake of telling me what you're up to very soon, that you're going to, what number is it for a high school reunion? What was it again? has a four in it somewhere. Is it 40th, <laughs> right? 40th, yeah. Unbelievable, Glenn. I can't believe it. I can't believe all those other people that I went to school with got old. <laughs> <laughs> they, they look old. And you go back and you don't recognize anybody. I mean, <laughs> there are a few Uh-oh. people that look the same, you know, that haven't changed at all. And then there's the ones that just are completely different. <laughs> it's like, the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like you have an experience. I do. I do. You know what I made the mistake of doing once? I think it was the 10th or 15th reunion. I had the acting company then, and we were doing, we did medieval feasts. And I played the king, and my wife played the queen, and we had a cast of about 20, jesters and jugglers and wenches and, you know, just musicians. and Yeah, we had a, we had a whole cast. And uh, the reunion was coming up, and they were looking for entertainment for the reunion. And, of course, I volunteered. So I actually went in as the king, along with some of my cast, to do the high school reunion. And I performed at the high school reunion. And then I couldn't even stay because we had another show to do right after that. So we left. So I didn't even get to stay and talk to anybody. It was like, okay, come in, do the show, get changed and leave. Uh, But yeah, I actually did. And then we did a lot of improv stuff. So uh, and told stories and made fools out of people. So I picked on the people that picked on me in high school. And I got revenge during that you little segment. I did. did. I picked on them for the worst segments that I could think of. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, yeah it that's was nice. Perfect. Everybody wants to live that now, Glenn. <laughs> yes, exactly. But did, did they recognize you? I guess. Uh, that's I guess. Yeah, thing. yeah. I hadn't changed that much at that point. Uh, oh, that, oh, what do you mean at that point? Uh, yeah, now I have <laughs> a lot more gray now. That's great. I, I could just see this now as a new theme for uh, for reunion. You know, I'm coming up on 35, <laughs> so I'm not too far behind you. It's 35 this year. Okay, yeah. baby. Okay. Yeah, no, it'll it'll be fun to see everybody because I went to a really small high school. I went to a high school that had a less than 100 kids in it. It was five grades. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you believe that? And it was How many show was up? Three for the reunion? <laughs> no, we're recruiting. Are you kidding? There's not very many of us. So we are recruiting. Most of us are still alive. Ha, ha, ha. I would, well, you know, you, you laugh at that, but some of the ones in my class have, have passed away since then now, too. You know, oh, so. well, we're not that old, but it could be drug overdoses. And things well, like car that. accidents. It was the and, 70s. Yeah. Cancer has gotten a few of them. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. That's sad. Well, those of us who stayed with horses are alive. I do know this part. So, <laughs> hey, there's <laughs> a health plug for horses. Now, where do you have to go? Where, where, where did you go to school? It's in Solvang. Uh, it's oh, a yeah. private school there. Oh, you don't even have to go far. 
No, well, yeah, no, I'm, it should be that way, shouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't move very far from home. That's so what I meant. doesn't fall. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was a boys' boarding school, and the girls were day students. So um, the girls were pretty local, but the guys were from all over. So they're, they're, they're the exotic ones. They're coming from all over. Well, have like fun. That'll be a riot. <laughs> have all you right. gone to all of them? Have you gone to all of them? No, I go about every five years or so. Did you? No, you didn't. No, I haven't you either. <laughs> I haven't been back since we performed. I bet. Yeah, because we've always lived really far away, and it's never worked out schedule-wise. Maybe maybe this year we'll get back. I uh, hope so. Yeah. I want to hear about it. <laughs> I'm not wearing a costume with tights. You're not wearing No, it. You I'm should not. be the queen this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, right after this, we'll get to our next segment, right after IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. We have two women with us today. The first is Alicia Kershaw. She's a retired attorney and embarked on a lifetime of adventure, and she captained championship dragon boat teams. We'll have to ask her about that. Traveling and riding a hiking guide. And she co-founded Gallup NYC. It's a therapeutic horseback riding program in New York City for which she is now the executive director. And Alicia is a PATH International. That's a a PATH certified instructor. And she's an auxiliary New York City Parks Enforcement Mounted Patrol Officer. So she is a horsewoman. She also serves on the Leadership Council of the Harvard Divinity School. She's married and has three children. And we'll also get to hear um, from a Kiwi. We get to hear from Sarah Jane Casey, who was born and raised in Auckland, New Zealand. And she rode competitively from a young age. And uh, she was in um, show jumping and dressage, I believe. We'll talk to her about that and eventing. And then uh, in 95, in 96, something like that, she she placed third in the New Zealand. Um, it's a big championship in Topo. And she rode and captained both the New Zealand uh, Pony Club championship team for eventing and dressage. And uh, she, then she joined Gallup NYC in 2007, obtaining her PATH International Advanced Certification in 2014. Welcome, Alicia Kershaw, your founder and director, executive director of um, Gallup New York City. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thank you. Gallup NYC, we call it, and we're right in the heart of New York City, uh, serving 300 riders every week at Inner City Barn. That's amazing. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about your volunteer army and some of the things that you're doing there, too. And we also have with us Sarah Jane Casey. She's born and raised in Auckland. I think you'll hear that. Hi, Sarah Jane. Hi. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. You don't sound too Kiwi. How long have you been here now? I've lived here now for 13 years coming up. So as I keep talking, you'll hear the accent keeps coming out. There it comes, yeah. (laughs) I haven't disguised it very well at all. Uh, No, that's pretty good. Pretty good. We love to hear it. Uh, It's our producer, Glenn's, one of his favorite accents in the world. And we all love it, too. It's very friendly. And you have some amazing horse flesh down there in New Zealand. Um, I'll start with you a little bit. I know that you rode competitively from uh, a young age, 8 to 20, something like that, in in different sports. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And how right, did you yes. Sorry, <laughs> I just cut you off there. What did you say? Oh, I, so what are some of the sports that you were involved in? Well, mainly at, by the end of um, my uh, competitive riding, it was just uh, eventing, three-day eventing. But right from the start, um, I, I think I always did a mix of dressage, show jumping, and then a little bit of show riding right off the bat. But we sort of quickly discovered that eventing was our sport, given it wasn't as biased as the rest. But um, I really enjoyed all the three different skills. And um, and it was it was just at that point where I think that either I had to go professional or have a life, <laughs> yeah. even though that is a great life. It was just a different life to what I was, I was thinking I would have. So... At that point, that was when I stopped, but it was such a wonderful experience, and we met some incredible people in New Zealand. Mm. You have yeah. a beautiful country there, very pristine, and uh, the horse, the horsemanship, both the racing industry we're related to, and then uh, just the, the raising of all those babies out in that pure... You guys don't let anything get in there into New Zealand that... Um, right. I mean, that's, that's a different... Um, species we're sort of dealing with. I mean, we don't really have any predators to really worry about. I mean, we have natural disasters, of course, but then as far as pest control and we don't have the snakes, we don't have the fox, we don't have the coyotes. I mean, it's so... (laughs) And all the extreme weather, really, where I was from in Auckland. So it has a whole different element to having a horse here versus New Zealand. It's very different. So tell me, why would uh, a, a lovely young lady, we'll see your, your photo up there, um, who's raised out in Auckland, New Zealand, on horses and everything, pick up and move all the way to New York City? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I decided, of course, this was a logical way my life should go. Um, <laughs> as I was horse riding, I ended up doing some work on Xena, Warrior Princess, and Hercules, all on horseback, of course. So ah, uh, it was there I decided that I should be an actress. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't the horses acting. my logic <laughs> to the whole thing. And then I ended up actually coming over to uh, go to the Neighborhood Playhouse here um, in New York. And I did the two-year program. And, and I am, you know, I balance sort of a life now between acting and horse riding and motherhood. So it, it's all worked out rather nicely for me. The horses came full circle and came right back, yes. which I feel incredibly fortunate to have here in the city. And still acting, and my husband's in the arts as well, and I have a beautiful young son now. Uh, so we just balanced that out. So I ended up here. <laughs> that is amazing. That's a great story. And Alicia, I want to hear a little bit about your story too, because I want to see what two worlds you guys bring together here. You're, you were an attorney. You're a powerful woman in your world. And you up and, and just uh, retire from that. And embark on a life of adventure. What's your circle? What happened on your journey? Well, I grew up on a farm and had we had horses. I actually fox hunted, mm-hmm. dating myself. But uh, 
did that with my family. And I had my father rescued a, um, orphan cult. So I raised that cult and trained him in my own, uh, kind of idea of natural horsemanship at the time before I, I think before it was actually labeled that. Probably, yeah. I really loved, yeah, really loved horses, but then, you know, life went on and I, I never really had much time to ride or be around horses, legal career, raising my family, all that. And my husband was transferred to Hong Kong, so I ended up in Hong Kong and, um, to my great surprise, there was a healthy, um, therapeutic horseback riding program. I hadn't really, um, been exposed to therapeutic riding before that. And on top of that, and I have, I always feel it's important to say I didn't know this when I started volunteering, but after I'd been there a while, I found out that if you could ride, you could exercise the horses in the morning oh, before the lesson yes. started. So for a couple, three years, I had a great gig where I would uh, get up early in the morning, walk down to the stable, take uh, lead a lead a hack to exercise the horses up through this beautiful park overlooking the Hong Kong Harbor mm-hmm. and come back down and work with the uh, kids in the therapeutic riding. And then eventually we relocated to New York, where I hadn't lived before. And uh, through a series of of uh, transitions, I ended up found it, co-founding and running Gallup NYC. So just like Sarah Jane, back to horses. That's right. And you guys both end up in the same world. So all of us who have been around horses and, and know their therapeutic qualities know that Anybody who works with a therapeutic program, it's not just there for the horses, they're there for the people too. What is it, Sarah Jane, that drew you to the therapeutic side of horses? Oh, I think um, it was so satisfying. I mean, I had been teaching, uh, after I graduated from acting school, I started teaching dressage at Claremont Riding Academy, which was right here in the city on 89th Street. Um, And I was teaching there and then ended up filling in for somebody who was absent with the therapeutic riding. Um, And I had, growing up in New Zealand, volunteered as a student, uh, as a high school student, with a a therapeutic riding program. Um, So I had a little bit of knowledge or understanding of what happened, but I just felt like all my skills ended up colliding in this wonderful world of therapeutic riding and I, I found it such a natural progression. But what I really loved was the these beautiful people, um, adults and children who came who were just so joyful and alive and grateful. It was a very different world um, to the horse riding, the, the competitive background I had. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden holding the reins or posting to the trot was a magnificent accomplishment so I really brought it back to the moment how special it was what that horse was giving all that therapeutic love that that horse was giving that child and what they were giving to the horse and I mean it was it was just um yeah I I couldn't step away from the moment I started so yeah and you became a yeah full-time job rather than just a I no longer after a few years I stopped teaching regular riding and just moved into therapeutic riding that's fantastic. And you've, you've gone all the way to the advanced certification in PATH. You have your PATH. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you have really climbed through that. That is a passion now for you. It um, is. It is. Absolutely. And you can only benefit from that training and um, from the expertise of other people. Um, the more, of course, you're in it, the more you want to learn about the varying disabilities. And I really enjoy educating other instructors now. It's, a, it's been really great. Yeah, you're good people, people. Alicia, what what drew you to therapy more than anything else? 
Well, you know, we have a saying at Gallup that people come for the horses and they stay for the kids. And I think a lot of our volunteers, we see that pattern, a lot of our instructors. And that was similar for me. I was, I was really drawn to, uh, my first exposure to therapeutic riding because I, I wanted to spend some time around horses. And of course, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, way to be around horses in a, in a low key, not competitive way. Mm-hmm. But then when you see the benefits for the children, it is very compelling. And mm-hmm. I, <laughs> Laughing when Sarah Jane mentioned, you know, kids learning to post or steering. And you, I've, I do sometimes come home from lessons and laugh at myself because I have been just ecstatic over, you know, what's really rather a small accomplishment. But for that child, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, th- those small accomplishments are really very, very significant. And, and you feel like you win the lottery when you when you get a yeah. kid to, uh, to do something. So it's just been very, very satisfying and rewarding to to be in that environment. And well, I also would second. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I also yeah, would ahead. second what Sarah Jane said. It's the people that we work with and meet are just, um, mm-hmm. it's just the most rewarding aspects of it. Is the families that we work with and the kids that we work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's something about both of you being in the middle of the city that's intriguing to me. And w- when people go on your website, they can see what you're doing too. There's something uh, extraordinary about what you're doing in, in that it looks so sophisticated and it's in the middle of a city and all the problematics that must go along with that. Do you feel like you may be revolutionizing the way therapy is, is delivered to a, an urban setting? Well, we, a few years ago, we had a board retreat where one of the things we looked at were the pluses and minuses of being in the city. Mm-hmm. And of course it is expensive. It's difficult. And, uh, it's noisy. There, there are a lot of, of issues that we deal with that a more rural location um, wouldn't have to. But we also have one thing that people overlook, I think. We have a huge population of people that need us. Mm. We have um, 300 riders every week, and we have another 300 on our waiting list without even doing any outreach for riders. Yeah. And that's actually a very rich resource. You know, we, we really don't have to worry about finding uh, people who want to work with us. And then there's a lot, there are a lot of, um, financial resources and support resources. We have a lot of, um, partners who help us with, uh, legal analysis, financial analysis, uh, fundraising, all kinds of, of, um, of great resources in the city. So it's, um, it's proven to be an excellent, excellent, uh, place to be. Mm. We do feel we're spokes people or advocates for horses in the city, or I should say horses in the lives of urban people. Mm-hmm. And um, we have, for example, in um, Prospect Park in Brooklyn, we have a free public horse education program where people can um, come and meet a horse and have an introductory lesson. We've had, I think, um, now I'm forgetting, but it's a couple to 300 of kids, urban mm-hmm. kids come through that program and meet a horse and learn something about the, you know, what a terrific animal it is. So that's part of our urban advocacy, you might say, program. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Sarah Jane, do you ever find that you have some children who are just afraid of horses? That Oh, absolutely. I mean, often, say, at the, the beginning of the term, especially with the new students, um, for instance, I remember last term we had a young boy in, um, who's on the spectrum and he was 12 years old, never been on a horse before and he spent the first lesson 
just uh, screaming the whole time. Uh, <laughs> screaming, and his father didn't seem too panicked, but we oh. spent the whole time singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star as we walked oh. around. And um, surprisingly, he got up fine. It was just when he was on, he was just so overwhelmed and he was getting a lot of sensory input. I mean, not from the environment as well as the horse. Um, yeah. And the next week he came and you should have seen the smile on his face. And I couldn't believe it was the same boy, but uh-huh. for whatever reason, once he got off, it became a really positive experience. And he came back the next week and he, he's just grown in leaps and bounds. I mean, that's just one student. There is always one of those with every teacher, I'm sure. But, um, it was, in, and this is also in a um, in Prospect Park again, where we're on the corner of a of, of a very busy intersection. So there is a lot of noise coming from. Often there's fire trucks passing by or big trucks, but he's adjusted so beautifully and really enjoys his time on the horse. So yeah, every every new group that comes in, there's always one child who's uh, nervous or doesn't want to get on. But it's just a matter of time before they really get on. We, I don't think we've had a failure. You know, of a oh, child who just can't fantastic. be on a horse. Yeah, good. Oh, I'm sure you're so patient. Um, was that boy? Uh, do, do you see any of the autism come through? Do you oh, have autistic? I mean, um, he—he's—I uh, wouldn't say he's nonverbal. He can vocalize, but um, he's really beginning to um, imitate the words walk mm-hmm. on and roll back and trot on. He mm-hmm. will um, vocalize those words and it, every lesson they just became clearer and clearer. So he knew what was expected of him. Um, but his his stemming or um, his mm-hmm. outbursts are no longer there. I mean, the, the first lesson, it was uh, he was on full, full-blown force, but now <laughs> he's really... Um, He's, he's really enjoying his time. Yeah, That's great. I, I don't know exactly what you guys put as a criteria for a good therapeutic riding horse, but Alicia, um, I, I think that there's, there's some, uh, seems like common ground between autism and horses because of that flight mechanism, because of the um, sometimes sensory overload of their environment. And, uh, and, and we say that horses learn with latent learning sometimes that one episode can be very, um, stressful for a horse when it's something new, they're neophobic, but that, that's, it almost like they sleep on it overnight and think it through and say, and come back the next day with, okay, that wasn't so bad. I think I'm going to start just a little ahead of where I left off yesterday. <laughs> Do you find some of that in a good therapy horse? Yeah, definitely. And, um, Temple Grandin has talked about the similarities in the way people was, and people on the spectrum and horses mm-hmm. perceive the world and react to the world. And uh, I, I do feel, I don't like to ascribe human emotions to animals at all and, and not to horses, but I do feel our horses really understand that they're working with uh, kids that need special care. Uh, we had a pony who um, was notorious for nipping volunteers and mm-hmm. never even made a saint at a at a uh, rider. You know, just funny. really seemed to understand there was a difference. <laughs> we didn't really like him nipping the volunteers either, but you know, after a while, you learned how to um, avoid it. Duck, yeah. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and um, the fact that they're mute, the fact that they're hypersensitive to their environment, um, all those kinds of similarities. We do see, uh, there is a misconception, I think, that children with autism on the spectrum don't have emotions or feel emotions. And that's, I think, um, is a misperception. 
but we because we do see a very strong bond develop between our horses and even our most seriously um, disabled riders. And we have had kids with autism get off the horse on their very first ride and hug or kiss it. Mm-hmm. And we have kids whose families and school teachers tell us that somehow they know the day of the week that's riding and they go and they get their riding stuff together and, you know, they're <laughs> waiting at the door to go to the lesson. And these are kids who, you know, don't, uh, don't speak and couldn't tell you what, what day of the week it was, but yeah. they know that it's the riding day. So there's a very, very deep connection there uh, that we see. We also, I should say, have riders who are classified as nonverbal who speak when they're riding. And that's a very powerful moment. I've been in the arena when that happens and had everyone there, the school teacher, the aides, the volunteers, the um, instructor, you know, tearing up as this kid has said his first words ever. And that's a spectacular moment. So there's a lot going on there. What are some of the, yeah, that's fantastic. What are some of the most common behavioral issues you have with the horses and how do you overcome them? Well, we nipping, this may not qualify as behavioral, but our horses are older. And so we do have a lot of um, soundness and back issues and oh, sure. that will sometimes translate into grumpiness um, mm-hmm. to put it, to put it yeah. <laughs> yeah. inaccurately. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very big danger of our horses getting bored. We have relatively small um, riding areas, and, you know, they walk around in a circle for a couple of three hours. We use them for three hours at a time, maximum. Um, but I think they get a little bored. And so we, what we do as instructors is try and find some activities, you know, sometimes even putting down some cavalettis or some cones mm-hmm. will, will help with that. Sergeant, what do you think about that? I think you've probably seen it more than me. Right, and I think also we're dealing with such a mix of horses because some of the horses we lease at some of the stables, so therefore they are used in regular riding lessons, which probably mixes up that boredom a little bit more. And then the herd that we use, um, just trying to uh, get people out there to ride them, to exercise them, to give them a little mental break, of course. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's always the case with therapeutic riding horses and, and our training a lot is what, what's the conditioning program you're going to use, how are you going to fight or combat this boredom that can, that can happen. And um, I, you know, just really also making sure they're, they stay in tune with the lead walker, um, mm-hmm. that they're listening to the lead walker. And they've also got to switch very quickly to the rider on the back. Not only do they have to be led, but then at a moment's notice, now they have to listen to that rider who's using his leg aid to ask the horse to walk on. So mm-hmm. um, having to get that horse really in tune with that lead walker and then allow them that space to listen to the rider. So um, we have to think about that in the training as well, how we're going to go about getting that, that attention and keeping them moving. Yeah, it's right. confusing for the horse to be led by someone then also uh, con- given signals in- from the rider. So mm-hmm. that can take some adjustment. We do, I, I would mention, we use the Monty Roberts um, halter uh, in lieu of a bridle so that we don't have to worry about our riders pulling on the horse's mouth. I love um, that. We find it, yeah. yeah, we love it. And it, it works very, very well. The horses are very responsive to it. And we just, we can relax about um, letting our riders steer without feeling the horses are going to be um, put in any discomfort. Yeah, I thank you for that because um, 
what Alicia is describing is that there are two rings on either side. So there's a schooling rope over the nose that can you can clip those reins right on that guy. Or it can just be a normal halter if you clip onto the regular rings. And um, uh, that there are so many people that are using that as bitless bridles and everything too. But in therapy, exactly right. So nobody, no mouth ever is is uh, subjected to the wrong cue. There's <laughs> nothing in the mouth. And I love that. Thank yeah. you for the plug on that too. I, I, you know, we love giving those two therapeutics just for that reason. And I think uh, the box is in the mail. We got more coming to you. So <laughs> we'll send some more your way because you guys have a lot of horses. How many horses are you, do you have on your different properties right now? Well, we own, um, we're just about to pick up our fourth horse, at least one pony, and we have two rescue horses, and we're just about to adopt a third rescue horse from Standard Bread uh, Retirement Foundation. And then, and they're all out in our Belt Parkway location, Jamaica Bay Riding Academy. And then at the, we trailer our horses and sometimes a couple Jamaica Bay horses into our Prospect Park Brooklyn location. And, uh, then we use regular commercial riding horses uh, that we rent by the hour at the other three locations, uh, Lynn's Riding Cone Forest Hill, Riverdale in uh, the Bronx, and, and the Bronx Equestrian in Tom Bay Park. So it's a mixture of, of the few we own and the rental horses. And uh, we're, we're growing our herd, you know, bit by bit, and because um, we find that the most effective. And also it's nice to be able to have a horse where you are more in control of who else has ridden them and how they've been handled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I, I just, I applaud you guys for what you're doing in the middle of the city. I, you know, I, the theme here at uh, Horsemanship Radio is keeping horses relevant and, and in people's lives and keeping them in the city is as important as keeping them in the country as far as I'm concerned. It may be an unnatural setting for people and for horses, but, um, hey, I've seen heads popping out of London horse boxes for a long, long time, and I think it's been hundreds of years there, and, and people have prospered by having horses and animals remain in their lives. So we applaud you for what you're doing and helping so many people in the urban setting. Thank you very much, both Alicia Kershaw and Sarah Jane Casey for joining us from Gallup NYC. That's because it's in New York City. And I appreciate you guys sharing with us today. We just applaud you what you're doing there. We all hear about omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition. But why? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live, natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses, and it's critical to the horse's health. If they were living on live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking in omega-3. That's where Omega Fields comes in. All of Omega Fields' flax-based products provide a balanced, essential profile of Omega-369 and may be helpful in alleviating problems related to skin, coat, hoof, joint, and sand colic. One of Omega Fields' terrific products is Omega Horse Shine. Omega Horse Shine is an Omega-3 stabilized ground flaxseed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all life stages. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade, non-GMO ground flax that can help horses with dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and more. Don't just listen to Debbie and I. Alexandra, a customer of Omega Fields, says any horse I ever own, 
I will feed them Omega Horseshine, and I will recommend it to anyone. You can get your Omega Horseshine today at OmegaFields.com, or just for our listeners, get 15% off using the coupon code MONTY2015. All one word, it's MONTY2015 for 15% off your next order at OmegaFields.com. That's OmegaFields.com. Christy Landwehr is the Chief Executive Officer of the Certified Horsemanship Association, or as I call it, CHAW. And she is um, also a host. Some of you will recognize her from Horses in the Morning. And she is on the Horse Radio Network with Glenn Hebert. Uh, I, I don't think, is it once or twice a month, Glenn? It's once I, a month. She comes on and does a, the Certified Horsemanship Association, takes over an episode every month. And fantastic. it's the third Tuesday of every month. There we go. So you'll have to listen to her there. And she's been on, I think, every Horsemanship Radio Network show so far, but we hadn't landed her, and we were fortunate to have her today. She's involved in all aspects, obviously, of a Certified Horsemanship Association. She works in the, uh, she's the editor of the Instructor Magazine. She works in advertising, sponsorship, partnership, marketing. You can imagine that there are only, I think she will tell you, a very few people on her executive staff because she puts her money back in getting the word out about becoming a great horseman themselves. And she is a trainer and a teacher. You're going to love her. Welcome, Christy Landwehr of CHAW, the Certified Horsemanship Association. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on today, Debbie. I really appreciate it. Uh, now, we appreciate you because uh, a a horseman like you, who has so much experience and is running a whole association full of horsemen, which I know can be opinionated, you must be a people person extraordinary. You know what they say, you don't talk about politics, religion, or bits and bidding at the dinner table. <laughs> That's great. Do they say that? I believe it. We don't at our <laughs> table either. <laughs> That's right. No, I, I would love to talk a little bit today about um, how you do hold that fort down, though, because there is such a diversification in horsemanship today, and we find that just this is horsemanship radio, so we're able to um, to feed a lot of diversity within disciplines and with the kind of people that are handling horses these days. But um, I thought it'd be interesting today to talk a little bit about some of the challenges of achieving horsemanship in this, you know. In urban settings and this fast-paced world, and and how you're continuing to recruit people into um, the Certified Horsemanship Association, the CHA. Can I call it CHA? You you can. You know, we have some people that uh, really don't like it being called CHA, and then some people that don't mind it at all. So absolutely, I have no problem with that. I say as okay. long as it's getting out there and people know who we are and what we're doing, that's great. And you brought up a very good point about when you get a bunch of opinionated people in the room, you know, how do you kind of sift through all of that? And I think one of the reasons why CHA has started to really kind of make a name for ourselves and get on the map a little bit more is that we're all breed, all discipline. So mm -hmm. we don't have a board that fights a lot or is like, well, you know, this is better than this or what have you. We're All we care about is, is it safe and is it effective? Um, with horses, and we like have, having fun while we do it as well. So those yeah. those are kind of our main things. And if it's safety and education-based, mm -hmm. then CHA wants to be a part of it and wants to promote it. And we try really hard not to reinvent the wheel and do something that's already being done well by somebody else 
and we try to really stick to our mission and our core, which most of our instructors actually teach beginners to ride, about 80%. Um, every time we do a membership survey, when we do one about every three years, comes back right around that 80% mark mm-hmm. of us our first time. So the first-time rider, whether it's a child, um, a teenager, or an adult, when they come to us, they are brand new. Yeah. They don't have any idea at all um, about horses and riding, and then 20% of our membership does teach the show rider and the more competitive, advanced, um, you know, person, regardless of if it's, you know, what breed it is or discipline or even if it's trail riding type things, like mm-hmm. they perhaps compete in AERC or what have you. But like I said, most of us, it's first touch. And so we get into a boardroom and we start discussing things and we just keep focusing on that mission. And if somebody starts to go down a rabbit trail, we say, wait a second, mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. it follow safety and education? And that's been a good thing for us for the last 48 years. Yes, look at that. 48 years. Anything that's lasted 48 years these days is amazing. Uh, in this technological world, too, which is getting so far away from uh, animals and animal connections, you know, I love that. I'm proud of you. So I'm a little curious. Now, you said 80% first time. Why? What, what does your survey tell you why people come to you? You know, I think one of the main reasons is we try to do two different types of marketing, Debbie. So we market to the professional because we consider ourselves a B2B, a business-to-business association. So we're marketing ourselves to the equine um, instructor and also to the barn manager and the the facility owner and what have you. But then we have a whole different marketing plan that we put just as much time and effort into, which is to recruit out to the general public and Mm -hmm. say, hey, general public, don't go Google for a riding instructor. Really don't do that. (laughs) It's way better if you can actually go through um, some sort of a reputable instructor that has been there, done that. And whether that's the show world that they've been a part of, you know, we're not discounting people out there that are not certified that are doing it right. But it's the, we call them shingle hangers, the oh. people that say, my name's Joe, and I got a great horse named Fred, and I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, let's, let's start getting people to ride Fred. And Fred might not be so great for beginner yeah. riders, and Joe might not be so great to teach on Fred yeah. beginner riders, and then we have the problem. Yeah. So we yeah. we try really hard to just kind of market to um, the non-horse enthusiasts to have them become a horse enthusiast and to start going ahead and realizing that horses are good for kids. And, you know, you had talked earlier about the urban environment, mm-hmm. and that's key. You know, I grew up in Southern California, so talk about yeah. urban. Yeah, and it can be. I think the horse saved my life. I mean, I think the horse really kept me focused and driven um, during high school when I could have gone down different trails. I think yeah. that, you know, being involved in horses kept me going. So I would want to do that for others. And I think CHA is trying to do that for others. Uh, so that's, that's a bit of a passion that you've got behind your uh, organization as well. You know, it's, it, this is an easy job for me, Debbie. And I think why it's easy is because I have been an instructor for a really long time. Um, and I didn't know certification existed when I became an instructor. I just hung a shingle. I had a great horse, yeah. and I said, here I go. So yeah. I was one of those, and even though I had shown a lot and I had had a lot of instructors myself, I had never been formally taught how to be a teacher and how to be an instructor and how to do that. And so when I went and actually learned about certification and achieved my master instructor rating through CHA, I cried. It meant more to me than getting my master's degree in journalism and marketing that I have from a university. Because no one's ever taught me how to teach. I had a bunch of instructors that I put together the Christie Landwehr way of teaching. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I had an entity, a third-party entity, telling me, you do that all right. 
I said, well, excellent. I'm glad because I <laughs> enjoyed it a long time. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, that it's okay and it's safe and that yeah. it followed a set of in- industry standards um, that meant something. So that was key. So now that I run the association on the admin kind of staff side, it's mm-hmm. fun because I still teach a little bit, not as much as I used to, of course, but I still enjoy the hands-on part of it, which is why I think that the passion is still there when I'm in the yeah. desk chair. Do you? So when you teach, when you actually do get to get out of that chair, do you go for the high end? Are you more um, advanced students or do you like to go back to those beginners? You know, I have a gamut. I have everything right now from a uh, 55-year-old man who's never ridden before, not even down the trail. Wow. And that's what's so great about our sport, right? We can yeah. meet a variety of different people um, age-wise and health-wise and physical fitness-wise. And mm-hmm. um, So he is a beginner. And then I do have um, a client right now who's learning flying lead changes. She wants She's a three-day eventer, and her lead changes aren't great, so I'm teaching her some lead changes. So I have a wide variety of um, clients that I teach right now, and that's been very fun for me as well. That's great. So how do you stay out of trouble with all these people? I mean, you've got these beginners that might be a little brittle. Us at 55 can say that. <laughs> so how do you, how do you keep yourself uh, from, from risk management, I guess it is? You know, we do a lot of uh, risk management within CHA. So CHA requires that we, you attend a five-day certification clinic for our uh, most popular certification, which is our standard English and Western. So during five days, you can get certified both English and Western, flat work only if you tend to just do the hunter pleasure and the the dressage type work and you don't want to do the jumping. And um, within that structure, the clinicians, the two people that are doing the certifying, have to present four lectures. And one of those lectures is on risk management. And right before we go and do these clinics, we do about 100 around the country and Canada every year, we call up our local equine attorneys and our local claims adjusters at insurance companies, and we ask them, what are the current cases out there right now where the instructor has lost so that we can learn? Because obviously precedence in court is set by what happens in regards to what the judge determines is um, who wins and who loses. And then we let our instructors know that in these clinics. We say, hey, this is something you might want to think about. Um, this is an example of something that occurred in your state or in your area, and now that precedent has been set because that instructor lost. So you might want to consider, and one of them, just to give you a quick example, uh, was a instructor who was teaching all of her clients in rope halters. Mm-hmm. So instead of teaching them in bridles and those kinds of things, and in this particular court case, it was deemed that you shouldn't necessarily teach somebody in a rope halter. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't ride in them on our own personal horses, but when yeah. you're putting somebody up on a horse, you know, it might right. not be the greatest idea, especially if they're a beginner, to put them in anything other than something that is supposed to be used for that, which is like a Bozelle or a Hackamore or a bitless bridle, mm-hmm. right, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Yeah, got to have some breaks in there somewhere, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's nothing like, I guess, teaching to to learn your your discipline the best. And it sounds like, I mean, I'm a huge believer in if you're going to start something, a sport or whatever you're going to get into, that you go to some professional first and, you know, avoid all those pitfalls. We all have stories of uh, us just trying something <laughs> once and not being able to do it. So, I mean, I can't advocate enough for, 
for people to uh, go and take some courses and everything. Your website's pretty amazing for all that. You guys have so much resource. I guess 48 years, you should, but it's really laid out well and people should see that. Uh, I, I can't imagine what kind of army you must have to for all these resources. Do you have a huge national team that runs this Oh, Debbie, I wish. Oh, no, you <laughs> don't. It would be a beautiful thing if I did, but no. Unfortunately, oh we have three full-time staff people. That's it? That's what we have. You got That's it. That's scary. And yeah. then we have a lot of contract laborers, so our graphic arts person and our accountant and even our website uh-huh. person is all a contract laborer. Sure. And then we have, um, oh, a lovely team on our board that, of course, are all volunteers. And then we have a very good volunteer corps as far as regional directors and state and provincial representatives. And those are my army. I mean, it's really the passion of the mission of what we do that rope in these people that then want to volunteer for us and put their talents to use. Yeah. And that's a blessing, you know, because then our uses can go to something other than staff. So when we make some money, we can actually reach out and do more marketing or we can reach out and put it back into our membership through membership programs and things and back into education for the um, horse public instead of it going to staff. So we've been able to be a pretty tight um, regime in, in, in regards to staffing because of the wonderful volunteer crew. Ah, you're amazing, and so are they. Thank them for us because we're really happy what you're doing out there to uh, keep horses relevant in everybody's lives and, and keep people riding. It's great. I would love to have you back, if you will agree, Christy, um, for some tips because we do have a, a component of the show that is um, trainer's tips, and I can't imagine a better person. You'd be right up our alley. I would enjoy that very much. There's a lot of really fun tips, and you know, anytime you want any of our other instructors on too, I don't have to be the only one that can chat for the association, but I, I do have a few in my uh, teaching regime that I really love, and I would love to share those with your audience. Oh, thanks, Christy. Before I let you go, I, I want to actually ask you about some of the other uh, work that you're doing on HRN, Horse Radio Network. Oh, I would love to. Um, Glenn and I, we co-host a show on the third Tuesday of every month, and we actually call it Training Tuesday. And we bring on um, some of our instructors, and we have detailed conversations about detailed types of riding, whether it's on the trail or in the arena, English or Western, um, fear management type issues sometimes come up. We just do a variety of things. So we would love to have anyone that wants to tune in. It's, again, the third Tuesday of every month at 9 a.m. That's perfect. Okay, good. And everybody should go to that app for Horse Radio Network because that's the easiest way just to... You know, when you on your phone and on your horseback or wherever you are, just go ahead and push that and look Christy Landwehr up of Cha on Horse Radio Network. Monty Roberts has been using and talking about CoreGem for four years now. CoreGem is one of the leading suppliers of Brazilian killer bee propolis, both in liquid and cream. As horse owners, we want a topical product that provides superior results for girthage, saddle irritation, rain rot, and all fungal issues, even scratches and ringworm. CoreGem does it all. We also want a product that heals wounds fast and minimizes the appearance of scars. 
Corgium does that too. And we want it to regrow hair in affected area and reduce skin inflammation, and Corgium does that. Plus, it contains no steroids, antibiotics, or chloride. It is non-toxic. It's even safe when your horses lick it, and we know they will. Used and recommended by veterinarians, breeders, and trainers from all over. Get Corgium today at CorgiumAnimals.com. That's C-O-R-I-G-E-M-Animals.com. And use the coupon code A. HRN2015. That stands for Horse Radio Network. HRN2015 and get 10% off your next order just because you're a listener to this show. That's HRN2015 at CorrigimAnimals.com. Up next, we have our trainer's tip from Heather Reynolds of Reynolds Racing. She's an amazing endurance rider, and she has a tip about Asking your horse for his all on the day. Welcome back, Heather Reynolds. Thanks again for uh, agreeing to come back and give us our trainer's tip for this week. What do you got for us? Well, I think my biggest tip is, is no matter what discipline you're in, no matter what level you're at, if you have a specific goal in mind on the day of your event and you just want to get it done, the most important thing I can say is remember to listen to your horse because your horse doesn't always have the same thing in mind, and it's not always your horse's day. So to get the best result, ride the horse that you have on the day of the event. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum... And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. April 6, 17, and 19, he'll be in Germany. So that's April 6, 17, and 19 in Germany. And then he's off to Hungary, April 11 and 12. And then Melbourne, Australia, April 25 and 26. Shepparton, Australia, April 29. And Canberra, last, on May 2 and 3. And then he gets back to the California just in time for our certified instructors conference which will be in the middle of may and for his 80th birthday 80 push-ups on 80 That's remember is he right. is he still practicing his push-ups like a madman he is is he, he is. good yeah, no. All right. yeah, yeah. he said it on this show that he was going to do yeah. 80 on 80 he exposed it yep now he's living it that's right <laughs> and he started tour this week so uh, we're gonna see him in Arizona too so um, he'll, he'll be demonstrating his mastery of 80 and 80. okay great and you can also see more about Monty's schedule and everything Monty at montyroberts.com uh, or give them a call at 805-688-6288 and for details about today's show go to horsemanshipradio.com where you can find links and photos and all the past episodes that's the best way to listen to uh, back to episodes Episode number one, although Debbie would probably prefer you didn't listen to episode number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and as always, we love your feedback, so follow us on Facebook. Just search for Monty Roberts on Facebook and Twitter, Monty underscore Roberts. Very good. 
And get that app in there, too. I oh, yeah, that. yeah. Well, our app's the easiest way to listen to all the shows on the Horse Radio Network, all eight of them. Just search for Horse Radio Network on iTunes or an, or on uh, the the uh, iOS or Android uh, apps, and you'll find Horse Radio Network on there. It's free, and it's easy to use. It is. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. And be sure to visit all the other great shows we talked about on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>